Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, welcome to I've Never Said This Before with me, Tommy D'Addario. Today's guest is the brilliantly talented Adelaide Kane. Now, Adelaide has been acting since six years old, and she has played so many characters in mega fan-favorite projects over the course of her career. You may recognize her from MTV's Teen Wolf, or the hit CW show Rain, or maybe from one of my all-time favorite shows, ABC's Once Upon a Time, that admittedly, yeah, I have watched, let's just say, a lot. (laughs) But now... She is in Head to Toe Scrubs playing Dr. Jules in one of the most iconic television shows in the history of television, and that show is Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy is going on to its 20th season, premiering on March 14th on ABC, and Adelaide joined the series in season 19 as one of the first-year surgical residents. She was part of that intern class. Today, we talk all things Grey's Anatomy, we revisit some of those fan-favorite projects that she has starred in, and we learn more on a deeper level about someone who has been behind the lights and behind the cameras for almost, well, all of her life. So, let's see if today we can get Adelaide to say something that she's never said before. Adelaide, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm so good. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I'm so happy to to finally connect with you. I have to tell you, I during the pandemic had this Instagram live series that I launched just trying to bring people together and and bringing their favorite artists in these really intimate conversations from their living room and houses and that's what turned into this show <laughs> and you have been someone since then since 2020 that people have been writing in hoping for a fun episode <laughs> with. So, I'm glad we could make it happen. Me too. Thank you so much. That's so cool. And congratulations. Like you're doing this whole thing and it's so inspiring. Good on you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. But it's not about me. It is about you. And <laughs> oh, where do I begin? I mean, I guess, first of all, you are 
I don't need to tell you, such an accomplished actress. You have played so many different roles from a werewolf to a historical figure, Queen Mary of Scots, to a doctor currently, um, to a wicked stepsister and Once Upon a Time. I mean, is there anything you can't play? That sounds like a lot of things, but I, I haven't I haven't played someone in the military yet. Um, I haven't played an acrobat yet. That's definitely something I don't think I could do because my back isn't what it used to be. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's always fun taking on sort of like different roles and different types of people. It's part of what I love about my job is I, I get to be someone other than myself. And if I played the same character over and over again, I think I get a bit bored, but I've been I've been very lucky in how my career is shaped out. Well, and you're currently, as I mentioned, playing a doctor. You are going into season yeah. 20 of Grey's Anatomy. You joined in 19. Yeah. This is your second season on the show. Oh my God. I mean, it's such a iconic, such a legacy show. Were you freaking out when you got this job? Oh yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, like my, my cousins grew up watching Grace. They've been watching since season one. It's like a part of their life. And I, I was a little too young. I wasn't allowed to watch it. It was like a little too grown up for me, but Grace is, is such, it's like, it's part of the fabric of pop culture. Initially I was just so excited. I was like, yes, I have a job and it's on Grey's and I get to work in Los Angeles and I get to work with all these incredible people. And then I was nervous because the fans of Grey's are really passionate about the show. It means so much to them. And that's, you know, that's like a, it's a lot of responsibility to take on. You really want to do your best for them. And, and, you know, you want them to like you because you're so excited to be there. Um, And they've been very kind and very welcoming to all of us that joined in season 19 and it's been a, a really wonderful experience. So you couldn't watch the series growing up. Did you go back at all and binge any of it or try to catch I up? Almost I mean, certainly did. You did because there's so many seasons. So how do you even tackle that when you get this job? <laughs> oh, one episode at a time. Um, I was familiar with uh, the first, you know, sort of five or six seasons. I like medical dramas. Like I loved House and Scrubs and you know, anything with a sense of humor when I was growing up and I got older. So I was already familiar with Grace, but I hadn't watched in a few years. So when I got the audition, I sat down and I started binge watching the show as almost like a kind of a manifestation and also to get an idea of like the tone and the pace and different shows have characters speaking at different pacing. And it's important to sort of see what you have to do in the show, whether you have to be very physically active in your body or whether you speak quickly or whether there's a lot of space for pauses. So I did that and I sent my tape off and then I was in London to do like my visa appointment because I'm on a visa because I'm Australian. I have to leave the country and my partner at the time had COVID. And so they were up in the hotel room and I was running them food and I, I got my, my callback request and, you know, I had to tape it in the hotel room, make sure I didn't get, COVID. And then while I was waiting to hear, I was just sitting in the lobby of this hotel with my sick girlfriend upstairs, just binge watching Grey's as like part of manifestation because I wanted the job so much. And then when we finally got home, I got the news like a day or two after I landed. And then I was straight into fittings a couple of days later and on set a few weeks after that, it was really a crazy time. It feels like it happened so quickly and there was so much going on. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine that your first day on that set after 
knowing so much about the show, after having your best friends watching the show, after you've been watching the show, and then you're suddenly in this medical universe yourself, I mean, was that kind of outer body for you? <laughs> it was very much, especially since I haven't worked on a project that shoots in Los Angeles since Teen Wolf. So most of the projects I've done have shot in Canada or North Carolina, or not in Los Angeles. So it was it was very surreal to just get in my car and then drive to a studio here in Los Angeles. And when I was younger and I, I dreamed of being an actor and of being in Los Angeles, you know, I dreamed of being on a lot in LA and to, you know, to go to a lot every day and have like a little parking space with my name. And I hadn't had that before. Grace it was, it was very surreal. And then stepping on a new set is always so interesting because half the walls are missing in every room and the ceiling is full of a lighting rig. It's always very odd. But I will say, I think the coolest and weirdest thing that I had to adjust to that's going to sound odd is the costuming. I'm very used to wearing like jeans and like tight tops or corsets and ball gowns or high heels and mini skirts. So to go into work every day and wear a sports bra, sneakers and scrubs it was almost more difficult to adjust to being in comfortable clothing for work than anything else. I'm so used to having whatever discomfort is part of my wardrobe be a part of my character and inform my character that being comfortable and playing such a high stress character was like very discombobulating. And then of course we get to set and there's Ellen Pompeo and there's Jordan Wilson and then there's Kevin McKidd, who I loved from Rome before I joined the show. It was just, <laughs> it was insane and so cool. And I, I'm very, very grateful for the other interns that, that joined the show at the same time as me, Harry, Nico, Alexis and Midori, because they are such wonderful, good-hearted people. All five of us like bonded very quickly. And I'll give credit to Midori who you know, organized like an, an intern dinner for us, like right out the gates so we could get to know each other. And since we sort of worked together the most and we all joined together, it was it was so wonderful to have them as like an automatic support network. Mm. And they're the best. I'm staying at Alexis's house right now while while my bathrooms are, are being destroyed. I could wax lyrical about Grace all day because the the more senior cast have been incredibly welcoming and kind to us as well and have given us wonderful advice and Chandra in particular has made herself very available if we ever have any stresses or, or any worries. And I, I couldn't ask for better. I've been working for a very long time. I knew it would be a comfortable set to be on because the show has been going for a very long time and there's an ease that comes with that. But it's true. I've truly been blown away by how welcoming and kind and, and communicative everyone has been from production to cast. They take very good care of us. I'm incredibly grateful. It's so obvious to me that you are incredibly grateful and it's such a special job for you. And there's there's a couple of things I want to dive into that you talked about. One, your character and wearing the scrubs and how that's something you had to get accustomed to. I find that when a show's been on for a long time and new characters are introduced, it's not always seamless. It's not always a win, but this show did it brilliantly. And your character people really, really have gotten attached to and are super excited to have in the show. Of course, that's the character of Jules. So for you, what has been the best part of playing this role and diving into her? What do you love about this character? She's a very complicated young woman. I really like how 
messy she is. I think when we when I first came into the show, I was like, Jules and I have some things in common, but I don't think we have that much in common. Like, you know, she was raised very hippy-dippy. Her parents were a little bit neglectful. And, you know, she's very into sort of like crystals and tarot and stuff. And I think initially I was like, well, I'm not like that at all. You know, my mother was very involved in my life and, and still is. Like I'm very close with my family. And then I was like, oh, no, I... I have crystals at home. I like astrology too. I'm also a lot like Jules, very pragmatic. I'm very, like I have my calendar and my lists and very sensible and her armor that she has up about like love and romance. I absolutely recognize that in a younger version of myself. I was very resistant to falling in love or being soft vulnerability because that felt like weakness I only felt comfortable being vulnerable with my friends and romantically it was very difficult for me to you know be be tender and be vulnerable and I've outgrown that and I look forward to Jules outgrowing that I think the most interesting part of the job for me my my mother is a nurse she's a nurse educator she um, has spent decades working in hospitals and now she teaches and I've always been fascinated by sort of like medical dramas and the most fun thing for me to do on set one is whenever I have scenes with all the rest of the interns because it's chaos it's like it's like herding cats I think that's why they don't give us too many of those scenes because we're just you know chatting and joking and we have such a good time but I love all of the medical stuff I love the the operating and the and and you know the surgery and and stitching suturing and all of it. I love all of that stuff. Maybe a little bit too much. It's a little creepy. My first episode, they had me with my hand inside like a fake human chest and they had rigged up a real cow heart to, to beat and they'd put blood clots in it so I could like hematomas so I could feel the hematomas. And it's incredible. I got to cut off a leg and the prosthetic leg that they had made and it was partially cut and, you know, they paint it and they build these from nothing. And they're so realistic that I walked onto set to have a look at it. And I had a bit of a cognitive dissonance moment where my, I'd noticed I was trying to smell for blood mm. because it looked so real. And I was like, I'm, my brain thinks it's real. And I had to go and touch it and like smell the plastic and smell the like alcohol based paints and like poke at it and feel the texture before my brain went, Oh no, it's not real. It's not real. It's not real. But I love all of that stuff. And I'm, I'm very crafty. I crochet and I knit and I embroider. So the suturing comes quite naturally. I like anything with tools, anything with like bits and, and kits. So that's always really fun for me. We had a, and, and I had an episode with Midori recently we were dealing with, you know, those Dr. Pimple Popper videos. Oh, yes, I do. Don't tell me you like those. Sometimes I do. Ooh. We had an incident like that. And it was the most fun I've had on set this season specifically. Wow. We had a an incident involving pus and it was hysterical. And Midori was like, whoop. And I, it's so entertaining. It's so much fun. You can so much fun it. because it's not real. I mean, in real life, you know, a lot of these things come with smells. I'm very scent sensitive. I can't handle like I'm OCD about my house, and I have two cats, so the whole setup I have with the litter box is extreme because I cannot handle bad smells ever. I think if all of this came 
with the usually associated smell of reality, I wouldn't be able to handle it. But because it's all fake, right. it's just so entertaining. And I, I feel like an evil little gremlin every time I have to like cut into something or there's blood spurting. It's so cool. It's so much fun. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. I really enjoy all of the medical stuff. The fact that you get into it, I mean, that that only helps them share your character and the storyline and, and the show. And it's not for everyone. Uh, one of my best friends is an actor as well, and she's working on a military show at the moment. She has to train for like two hours a day, and she's like, you know, practicing shooting guns. She's carrying really heavy bags and like, you know, it's really intense physical training. And she's the girliest girl to like ever go, but she was like an athlete when she was younger. We joke about it all the time where I'm like, that's all you. I'm not as sporty 
I would cry every single day if I had to train and do that much like physical work. And she is so incredibly squeamish. She's mm-hmm. like paper cut and she starts crying and she's like, you do you, I'll do me. And it is funny how I think a lot of people think we pick the projects, but truly the projects pick us and the universe absolutely participates in giving us what is most suited to us. And as I get older, I'm like, no, she, she would not have been able to handle being on grades. It would have been a lot for her. And I would not be able to handle doing what she does. Like it really does shake out the way it is intended to. Oh, it's that's, so much fun. And that's so rewarding to to see and hear because, you know, there are jobs sometimes I'm sure artists take because we all need to work. And then there's jobs that really fuel your soul and this one clearly you light up as you talk about this and it's so cool to see that even when you mentioned the cast and how wonderful these ogs have been and these iconic characters have been it seems like a beautiful blending it is it really is and you know you never know what you're what you're going to get it's like any workplace right there are always going to be some people that you don't gel with not necessarily in a super negative way but just some workspaces can be lonely and it can be difficult, you know, connecting with people or joining a very well-established workforce where everybody already has their sort of like friends and their bonds. And it can be tricky sometimes, but it's been very seamless with this. I think in terms of, you know, sometimes you work just to work. Absolutely. Sometimes you take a job because you need the paycheck because like rent is due. But I'm, I'm very much of the mindset that you can make something work for you. Like there is space for joy and positivity and you know if you don't find that on set then you reach out to your friends and you be like hey I'm going to be in Quebec I'm going to be in Montreal shooting this thing for eight weeks do you know anyone in Montreal Mm -hmm. do you like when you were shooting this thing you have any good restaurants like I I'm a firm believer in like finding joy I've been lucky that I haven't experienced too much of you know difficult personalities on set there are difficult personalities everywhere in every industry and i think i've been quite fortunate and that i've always been able to you know find friendship and find joy either through other people or through my own efforts i think there is joy to be found wherever you are and if you can't find it at work then you find it in your life and if you have things that bring you joy in your life every experience will be at the very least a learning experience yeah. And it took me a long time to learn that because I was like, I don't want to be beholden to circumstance as like the arbiter of my happiness. And it's it's an active choice. And I'm not saying I'm not saying it's easy, but you know, switching switching focus to finding joy in really small things and switching focus to having like a moment of joy in every day and then that day is successful has has been done wonders for me personally waking up and being like oh i'm so warm that can be my moment of joy for the day and even if the rest of the day sucks the day was still a success but i've I've gotten really lucky in my work and particularly lucky on this set that's such a good mentality to have and a good reminder and like you said it's it's an act of choice and something we hopefully all work on but to live your life like that is so rewarding and it makes it you know it's tough out there it makes it feel a little easier so i think that's such an important like changing the mindset isn't easy is the thing i used to be very very negative it takes a lot of work and a lot of like Mm self-correction because like changing the way you think about things and it always drives me nuts and people like just be happy just decide that you're it's not that easy it really isn't It, it is hard work 
to change the way that you think and to it's like anything like you don't go to the gym and then immediately start deadlifting 150 pounds like you have it's a muscle and you need to work on it and it took time to look for the positive first mm. but it's really it's really worth it it's really worth it and i am in the privileged position where I'll, most of my life is very good and trying to find the positive when most of your life is difficult or challenging or bad is really hard. And my life was that when I decided I wanted to be happier, it was very difficult and I had no money and I was really struggling with mental health and, and a whole host of, of other issues. And I was like, well, if I can start working on my mindset and try to find a bit of joy in every day now, when it is at its most difficult, as things get better, it will get easier and it does become automatic, but it, it does take work. And I think anyone that's like, you can just decide to be happy has never had clinical depression. Right. <laughs> it definitely takes work and life is very hard as it is, but it is one of those challenges, one of those sort of journeys that I think is really worth pursuing. That's really cool that you, even now, I, I know you've always been passionate about mental health and just now you've opened up about it too. And a lot of people don't choose to do that. And I think one of the things I'm most interested in with people and with the day and age we live in and with social media is kind of destigmatizing the glossy image of life that we all can be guilty of presenting. And I think that's something that probably serves you really well for work and for your happiness and your future because you seem to be trying to live the truest form of your life that you possibly can. Yeah, I do my best. I mean... I think it's a it's a very interesting catch twenty two. I I grew up. My mother's always been very open about mental health, and my family has always been very open about mental health. So I didn't even really know there was a stigma behind any of it. Even with my recent ADHD diagnosis and learning about ADHD and seeing sort of anecdotal stories from other people about how they were treated differently for having ADHD or treated differently because they're on the autism spectrum, or I didn't grow up knowing that there was that there was stigma that people would treat you differently if you had mental health issues or if you were neurodivergent. I didn't really know because that didn't exist in my house. So for me, it's never been a big deal. Like It's not a big deal if you make it a big deal. And I think familiarity leads to comfortability and people don't want to talk about things they're uncomfortable about. And it's easier to talk about something that everybody else is talking about and, you know, be like, oh, yeah, I think I'm suffering from clinical depression when everybody's so open about talking about it, it's never been something I've thought about. I'm also just by nature a very open person. You know, I'll tell you a joke, but I, I won't tell you a lie. I'm a terrible liar, which might seem like a like an odd thing for an actor, but you know, those are very different fast work and then there's and then there's life and the two are very separated in my mind. Mm. But yeah, I've always been very open. And I don't see any reason not to be anyone who treats me differently or, or has an issue with how open I am about mental health or neurodivergence. That's a them problem. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. they just, it's easy for me to forgive that because they just don't know enough. They clearly haven't done the research. They just don't know enough or, you know, maybe they have some past trauma or overheard someone talk disparagingly about someone who had anxiety or, or was ADHD or whatever in the past, and that prevents them from, you know, seeing clearly. But I think in terms of sort of like being open in social media and like living, whatever that means, 
it's an interesting thing to be in a position of, I don't know, celebrity, I guess. I don't feel like a celebrity 99% of the time because, you know, taking out the trash and catch it and there's dirty dishes in the sink and I don't want to do them and, you know, I'm a regular person 99% of the time. It's very interesting that people have made entire careers off a persona Mm. And maybe because what I do for work is create personas, so I don't feel the need to do that in my real life. I think for some people it's a protective mechanism and they get to keep a part of themselves secret and safe for themselves, especially when you're in the public eye. That can be a struggle. And fans want to know who you really who you really are. And in some cases with really big celebrities, fans can be extremely invasive. And I understand having a persona as a protective sort of mechanism especially when that makes you money. I think for some really big celebrities, fans want to know who you really are, but they also they also don't. I think there are a lot of people who are very enamoured with the idea of celebrities being not entirely people, mm-hmm. the way that your you know, standard person is a person. I think they really like the idea of celebrities being like special or different in some way. And if you are too real and too much of a person, it sort of ruins that image for them. Like a character in a TV show that you're really attached to, that suspension of of disbelief is so important for you to become really invested in a show and really invested in a character and really invested in that world. Yeah. It isn't real, but it, it, it's real to you, and I, I think that that can bleed over parasocially into sort of celebrity image where a lot of really big celebrities aren't people. They're an idea. They're an ideal. They're something to strive for. They're something untouchable, and that's what makes them special. And too much of the real nitty-gritty can destroy that dream for some people. So it's it's a really interesting sort of thought study on on celebrity and idolatry and kind of what it means to different people i'm not yeah. very good at creating a persona i <laughs> i think I, I tried it for a little while and honestly it, it's exhausting it's really tiring and i i play different people for my job you know i definitely behave differently on a carpet or with friends or with family but those are just facets of the same person right we're sort of creating a an alter ego it doesn't come naturally to me at all bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Well, I think that's um, why so many people connect with you. It's because you are, you know, real and you are who you are. And there is not this big red curtain that they have to pull back to get a glimpse into who you are. And I think that's what yeah. is part of the reason why people do gravitate towards you. So that's that's a really cool thing. Well, sometimes I wish I, I could. You know, sometimes I'm like, that would be nice to have that as sort of like a like a safety thing and you know I've put my footnote more than once in my career just being like way too blunt and frank and honest and that's definitely bitten me a few times it would be nice if I was capable of of doing that but it's it's too difficult for me personally and I have a lot of admiration for people that can juggle the two because it is it is a lot of work and it is it is truly admirable and it's a it's a form of acting in my craft in and of itself to be able to do that and I think it's very impressive when people can i don't i don't have the bandwidth for it unfortunately so i'll probably continue to put my foot in it occasionally throughout <laughs> my career but you know it's a much more comfortable way for me personally to live yeah and it keeps life in my opinion a little more interesting so i think that's a, a good way to live <laughs> i appreciate it so now i have a few kind of rapid fire questions before i get to my my very big introspective question, which you might have a hint of what's coming based off the title, but for a few rapid fires. Okay. Number one, is Ellen Pompeo as dreamy as she seems? Yes. In the same way that a dream is both uh, beautiful and a little terrifying, Ellen Pompeo is that because she's Ellen Pompeo, you know, and like she's, she's, she's a force. She's been such a linchpin in our industry for so long. And she was so 
like kind to us and welcoming and made jokes and all of us like <laughs> like you know uh, a little nervous you know meeting your big sister's like super cool friend who's like the most popular person she gave us these like big like succulent gardens as a welcome gift when we all arrived and you know it's really cool she's she's got such a presence on set as well like we all know when she's around to do like audio or whatever because her trailer has like trees set up around it and when the trees aren't set up she's not there and then when the trees are set up we're like oh, Ellen's on set today Ellen's around today yeah what a what a remarkable woman what a remarkable career number two two of three let's go with the question about rain for all those rain fans listening I'm sure there's many many tuning into this hey rain fans <laughs> what do you miss most about that show where do I begin by the time we wrapped up that show, I was so close with the rest of the cast. Like we were really such a family and I still see quite a few of those cast members were still really close. Like Rachel Scarston and Jonathan Kelts. And, you know, I get to see Megan and Craig every now and again. And when I'm in London, I get to see Rose and it's just, we had such a family on that set. I really miss them. Like right down to our crew who came back for us like every season. They turned down other jobs so they could come back to us. Like it was just such a close, 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 loving, supportive set. You know, I I never thought I'd find anything close to that kind of synchronicity again in my career, like sort of a once in a lifetime job. I'm really grateful for Grace because it's, it shows promise of being that again. Mm. Of course, with Rain it took four years to get there, but I really, really miss those people. And I miss Toronto, to be completely honest. I don't miss the winters in Toronto, but I kind of grew up there. I was on that show from like 23 to 27, which are really formative years in any young person's life. Yeah. And I did that in Toronto and I really loved that city. The winters sucked. But okay. like Toronto I'm looking is at where snow I... outside. It's 30 degrees. Yes, I know winters suck. I deal with it year round. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's, no, it's worse colder. than New York. It's yeah, worse yeah. than New York. Like you'd get a, we'd get frostbite warnings as like, you know, the service announcement pop up on our phone. It was like, if you go outside for more than five minutes with any exposed skin, you're going to get frostbite because of the winds coming off the lake. Ooh, no, thank you. I have nerve damage in my left foot from trekking through snow and thin leather boots in the dead of winter oh. in those dresses. Yeah, it only comes back when I'm in icy conditions and two of my toes on my left foot go numb. So, oh my gosh. Know. Well, you miss the cast. Yeah. You don't miss the numbness. I think that's that's uh, fair to say, but that's amazing. I know that show means a lot to many people, so I had to get in a question about that. And also, another show that means a lot to many people, Once Upon a Time, you played the evil stepsister, which I mean, admittedly, my husband and I watched that show like all during the pandemic a million times. It's just so fun. So... For all the oncers out there, was that just a magical experience? Like truly, truly, it it really was. I once was so much fun. It was so much fun during one of my short hair eras. Like I had such a good time on that show. I mean, like getting to play like a bitch was so much fun. I'd never gotten to do that before, and I just like channeled every mean girl i'd ever seen in high school <laughs> you played a bitch very convincingly i have to say oh i was bullied all through school so i had a lot of first-hand experience of yeah. what that looks like and it was fun to play a mean girl and have it not be real 
Because, like, when people are mean in real life, I'm like, doesn't that hurt you on the inside? Like, don't you see the look on someone's face when you say something cutting and doesn't that just, like, eat at you? Right. Like, the times that I've hurt people's feelings have been purely by accident because I'm too blunt and I've had to learn to be more tactful in the way I speak because I can hurt people's feelings with my bluntness. But to set out to do that on purpose, to deliberately unsettle or hurt someone, doesn't that just give you a sick feeling in your stomach? Ooh. So to be able to say sassy, mean things and have it not be real, it's funny, it's a joke because it's not real. And I would never, ever say any of those things to anybody in real life because that's horrible, but it was so much fun. And then I, I got close with the costume department there as well because my character sort of popped in and out and I only really had one or two like outfits an episode. And because she would like, you know, thought she was like a fashion girl, they told me what the budget was because I had a set, like a small set budget for every episode. But since I only had one or two outfits, we got to really stretch it and like go to Nordstrom Rack. And there was one beautiful like green and gold shirt that was Miu Miu that they got from like for a steal from some vintage place. And we got to really, really dress up and wear some really cool like high-end pieces. It was so much fun. And then to just be like, I think most people grew up with like Disney movies. So to be able to be like a Disney character, an evil stepsister was so much fun. And mean characters are always the most fun to play. Yeah, that was an iconic role to step into. So that was as a viewer, really fun to watch. So you survived the rapid fire round. The final question of this interview is based off the title of the show. And I'm wondering is there anything that you've never said before, whether it's silly or deep or whatever you can think of at the top of your mind? Is there something that you would want to share today? Hmm. I've given this a lot of thought. And I think with, with how open I am as a person, there are very few things I haven't said before. And I've, I've been in therapy for a very long time. But I think if I had a chance, looking back, to live my life over again with, you know, the, the moves that I've made and the mistakes that I've made. I've been asked by friends, you know, if you could start again at like 12 or at the beginning of your career and do things differently, would you? And sometimes I think I would, but I think ultimately looking back at my life and all the good things and all of the bad things, I don't think I would change anything. Even with the mistakes, even with the really difficult things I've, been through in my life I really like who I am now and where I am and how I move through the world and the people in my life and I don't think I'd change a thing mm. I don't wow. think I'd change a single thing if I had the chance to do it all over again I love that response thank you for sharing that and and thank you for everything you've opened up with in this conversation today you know sometimes when you're on zoom and you can't feel somebody in a room that could be, I guess, a disadvantage when you're interviewing somebody. But when you feel somebody as strongly as I felt to you today, it just shows me how truly you know, grounded and centered and grateful and present you are as a person. And I, I just, I really enjoy this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Likewise. I mean, I, I saw the breakdown of what you do here and what you do on your show. And I really wanted to show up and deliver for you in, in, in the spirit in which 
you came to the table. So I appreciate you and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And for everybody listening, Graze is back in March in just a couple of weeks. So check it mm-hmm. out. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, fun we can expect, right? Oh, you bet. It's drama, drama, drama every episode. <laughs> okay, you heard it there first. Well, thank you again. And until we meet again. Thank you so much. Have a great day. I've Never Said This Before is hosted by me, Tommy D'Addario. This podcast is executive produced by Andrew Puglisi at iHeartRadio and by me, Tommy, with editing by Joshua Kolodny. I've Never Said This Before is part of the Elvis Duran Podcast Network on iHeart Podcasts. For more, rate, review, and subscribe to our show. And if you like this episode, tell your friends. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Tommy D'Addario. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.